0: Welcome to the Stream and Allison podcast where we talk about what's news and what's trending. I'm one of your hosts, Allie Worshawski,
1: and I'm Owen Clark.
0: And today we have a very special guest, a man who needs no introduction, co-founder, global chairman and CEO of Allison, Scott Allison.
2: Well, thank you Allie and Owen. It's nice to be invited on the show. It's my first time, so I'm I'm, I'm pleased, I'm thrilled
1: we figured four years into the podcast under your name, we would allow you to, to join us. Finally. Yeah, eventually, right? right? My
2: number had to come up.
1: It seemed like the right time. And you'll notice the Allison intro versus Allison and Partners. One of the things we want to talk to you about, Scott, is is the name switch and the rebrand, right? Like you've been doing this firm for a long time and it was a big change. I know. Because- I've, I've, I've
2: set up a jar on my desk that I have to throw in a dollar if I say the old name, which is still... <laughs> There's still some money collecting, so I think it's taken a little bit of adjustment. When you had the same name for 22 years, it's hard to adjust to the new one. But uh, it's it's exciting, and I think the team did an incredible jo- incredible job on the rebrand. So really, really a nice momentous time for us.
1: And the big thing about so, the rebrand is that the sort of name dropping of the PR name within it, right? And we've talked sometimes before that, like when you started this, you never thought we'd be doing things like videos and measurement and social the way we are now. But as you sort of look back at where you started and where you are, what strikes you in terms of kind of how the industry and the the firm itself has changed?
2: I think there's been massive change, you know, since the 22 years that we started the company and I've actually been in the agency business for 36 years. And I think if you go back to what the business was like when I started and where it is today, night and day difference, you know, it really was, when i started primarily earned media media relations was the major driver you got into a lot of content creation but i think we called it something different it was really writing press releases backgrounders a lot of time spent on physical media kits that we would ship out to people and you might get in a little bit of an events and crisis communications. And, and that's completely different now. You look at the wide array of communications tools and services that we provide to clients. It's it, this is not your father's PR firm, right? It's totally, totally different.
0: And as you just touched on, we've been a PR firm and we've morphed more into integrated marketing. So how does that change Allison and how our clients know us or work with us?
2: You know, it's a great question. I I think public relations has really expanded, though. And I think the tools that people use to support public relations, and I know there's been a lot of debate where is public relations a dated term or the change of firms? I, I don't think so. I think public relations has really evolved. But when you think about it at a base level, what is public relations? It's really the way you communicate with all of your different constituents. But I think communications really became a term that I think more people understood. And I think it really captured a lot more of the integrated work that we were doing. So I think it was very natural evolution for us.
1: Was there sort of a project or a moment when you sat there and and realized, I guess, how much the firm had changed? Was there anything in particular, like, man, this, this. Yeah, I can, I
2: can remember uh, we were doing some work for, uh, a healthcare company and we were given a brief and they provided the same brief to their ad agency, their branding firm and to us. And they're like, all of you seem capable of doing this. So it became kind of a jump ball. And that was kind of the epiphany of, yeah, this is very different now in the kinds of things that we're getting asked to present on and pitch on and exciting. I think if you look now, we launched what was our integrated offering about seven years ago, all told, and you know, we now have over 100 people around the world that work in the integrated group. And, and I think that's really exciting to see what we're doing. If you look at the mix that we're able to provide clients, it's an all-encompassing communication suite. And I think that's really interesting.
0: And a belated congratulations on being inducted into the PR Week Hall of Fame. Uh, 22 years ago, when you were just starting and becoming a co-founder of Allison, was this something you envisioned in your future or what were you working toward it this whole time?
2: Oh my gosh. No. I mean, and thank you. I, I appreciate it. It was nice to be acknowledged. I've always felt this is a team sport and individual accolades. You know, I look at the blood sweat and tears that's gone into the last 22 years and so many people, you know, built this company and i was just a a small part of it glad i've been here for the whole 22 years and but no when we started the company ali it was in september 4th 2001 a week before 9 11 and then just a brutal economic downturn for about 18 months so in the earliest days i was focused on how do we not go bankrupt and how do we keep this company afloat during this really difficult time so the hall of fame or even becoming a national firm was the furthest thing from my mind. It was really, I had two small kids to feed and uh, a wife who wasn't working at the time. And it was like, how do I just keep paying the bills and keep this company from going under? And I think during the first year, there, there were probably moments where we were right on the cusp of going under, but everybody stuck with it so no you were not really dreaming big at that time it was more of just how do you keep your nose above water
1: yeah you know, I've had the uh, pleasure responsibility or, or it was given to me to work on the video about your induction to the to the Hall of Fame and one of the things that's the through line that everyone talks about you is sort of yeah the work the firm but sort of the way you treat people and the way you focus on them individually and I guess I'm just interested in kind of where that came from is that something you proactively have worked into your leadership strategy? Is it natural to you? But just comment on that feedback because it was so apparent that everyone independently came up with what they wanted to say and they've all kind of landed in the same place about that, that quality.
2: Well, I give a lot of credit to my co-founder, Andy Hardy Brown, and he and I, when we sat at a cafe in San Francisco in the summer of 2001 and sketched out an idea for this company. And I, I think the partnership really would never have worked if Andy and I weren't so closely aligned on core values and how we approach the company we're different people you could argue a yin and a yang but we're really grounded in the approach to business and we believed in this non-hierarchical approach I think the belief that you know a place devoid of politics where everybody was seen as equal and contributing to the company And i think that was such a driving force i don't think things have really changed in 22 years it's it's the approach to working with people the approach that everybody plays such a big role and whether you're a ceo in the company or an account coordinator you have a critical role to play and we've kind of always just taken that belief that everybody works equal i i've never had an an assistant uh the doors always open i answer my own phone And I think those things are really important. I think it's important to listen to everybody. And this is a kind of a tumultuous world we live in and, and a lot of change and a lot of things. And the most important thing is to to really listen to folks, too, and. I was on this great call last night. We did our CEO advisory group and there's people in all different levels in the company, in all different locations. We had people from Asia and the U S and, you know, really discussing interesting topics, diversity in the workplace. And, and uh, you know, I'm always taken aback, like what amazing people work here and how much I learn from other voices and other challenges that people have and people that have really, diverse backgrounds and different experiences that they bring into the office and company and it's just great to be able to kind of soak that up so i think for me it's always been a two-way street you know you treat people the way you want to be treated uh treat people politely and that's a good way to move forward so it hasn't really changed since andy and i sketched out in this little napkin what we wanted to do
0: and you mentioned the tumultuous times I mean, you opened right before 9-11. We've seen several recessions and we're just coming out of a pandemic. Was there one moment in the past two decades that really felt the most challenging was one harder to get through than the other?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, Alec, because we have. We've been, I think, battle-tested. We've been through We launched in a in a really tough recession. We navigated the recession, you know, in 08 and 09, and that was tough. But I don't think you can really put into words the brutality of the pandemic. And I, I, I don't think any CEO was prepared for that. I don't think there was a playbook for how to get through a global pandemic. The last one is 1918. I don't think anybody had seen the notes from CEOs back then and what they did to get, get through this. But I, that first three months of the pandemic was definitely the hardest time, you know, in my career. And you're like, you wouldn't wish that on, on anybody. And such an incredible effort to get through that and couldn't have been more proud of, the team for really pulling together at a time and i think the hardest part is usually when you're immersed in a crisis you want to get people together and you know it's like rally the troops in the office kind of thing and that was the one thing that was stripped away from us is you could not meet in person and so we really had to become reliant on the technology you know it's funny our, our previous cto i remember approached me and said Hey, I'm going to put the whole company around the world on teams. And I was like, Yeah, whatever, I'll probably never use it. But whatever you think we got to do. <laughs> now, in hindsight, I mean, we could have not gotten through the pandemic without teams without zoom. And you shudder to think what it would have been like to go through the pandemic like 15 years earlier, when we didn't have that kind of technology. And if we were using just basic conference calls so I, I think we were all a bit fortunate that the technology was there to support the effort but without a doubt that was the the hardest time in the career and I think it was the most challenging time but I hope I don't have to go through another pandemic in right. my career
1: well for those of you watching on video you're sitting in front of what is the San Francisco skyline essentially in our beautiful San Francisco office but again one of the questions that seems like we keep circling around is what that office environment, what that office culture is like post-pandemic. I know there's no easy soul, but give us sort of the state of your opinion now on, on where that balance is between flexibility and the need to create in-person environments.
2: It is really complex. And I think there's not a company in the world that's not wrestling with what's the best approach. I think you have on on some extremes, you know, you look at the finance industry in New York, for the most part, they've just gone back. You know, you do have companies that were like, the pandemic came and we left and then the pandemic ended and we went back and they took a very sim- simple approach to that. I think for us, you know, in our industry, communications industry, there is more flexibility that you can adapt to. Um, I don't foresee us going back to pre pandemic five days a week in the office but I also don't ever really see us going back to a full remote situation either. And I, I've come to the point where I, I don't really like the expression remote. I really prefer flexibility. And I think we're able to create a, a hybrid flexible model where you can have a little bit of the best of both worlds. But I think the in-office is, experience is critical. As I said, I've been in this business for 36 years and I've built some lifelong friendships of people that I worked with and colleagues that I work with that I don't don't think you could have ever have that in a remote environment.
0: Now, you are two decades in. In a decade from now, where do you see Allison?
2: I think this company will will continue to grow and thrive and I think part of the rebranding was setting the stage for even, you know, growing and thriving beyond me. And I think if you look at a lot of the world's largest PR communications agencies. If you look at the top five, many of them are 60, 70 years old, you know, in the making. And I know that I won't make it, you know, for another 50 years, but I I do believe that the company absolutely will. I think we've got great generations. We talk about our gen two leadership team, our gen three, and even kind of the up and coming, what I would call the fourth generation. So I think that the the legacy is cemented. I think if we can keep to the core values and keep remembering what brought us here, and if we can continue that, there's no reason at all the company can't continue to thrive for 10 years plus.
1: So Ali asked the macro question. I wanna bring it back a little, it's kind of a weird year across the board. I think for the economy for agency life in general, but we're you know, hitting Q4, looking into next year, I guess. What, what are you seeing looking into 2020 into Well, the,
2: the lesson I've learned, and sometimes the hard way, and sometimes didn't pay attention as much as we could have, is that Q4 will whisper, sometimes quite loudly, what you can expect the next year. So when I look at some difficult years that we've had in the past, 2016 was one. Q4 of 2015 was terrible. Q4 of 2022 was terrible, even though we had overall a pretty good year. So the tea leaves were screaming, Trou- troubles, trouble's coming. And this has been a very difficult year. I would put it right up there in kind of that bottom three for us of 09, 16, and, and 2023. And... What I've observed, though, is after each of those really tough down years, 09, 16, the next year kicked off a big five, six year growth cycle. So I really do see some momentum. September was one of the biggest months we've ever had in closing new business. Uh, We've got a lot of momentum going into Q4. So I think the early signs are that next year should be a good year. And I find when you look at, you know, communications, client spending, marketing, you very rarely have two down years. You'll have a down year and people will cut budgets and they'll hit the pause button. But then there's kind of that awakening of, wow, we got to get back to business. We got to get back to building again. And I think that that will benefit us. I think as an agency and in the professional services provider, companies may be a little slower to hire next year, And we'll benefit from that because sometimes it's easier to designate work to your outside agency than add headcount. So I'm pretty optimistic that we're going to have a good Q4 and I think we're going to have a good strong comeback here next year.
0: So obviously now this is a huge global agency, but I want to know, is there anything you miss from those post napkin days after you wrote down the idea and started forming the company, you know, when it was a smaller agency? What's one thing you miss about those days?
2: You know, I, and I think sometimes nostalgia plays tricks on the mind. You kind of look back with nostalgically like everything was wonderful, and you kind of forget the harder things and just remember the really the, the more pleasant things but I, I I think what was nice when the company was smaller, and I remember we had just two offices in San Francisco and Los Angeles, and maybe there was eighteen twenty people in the company. I knew everybody, and when I mean I knew everybody I knew like the name of their pets, where they went to school. If they were married, I knew their spouse's name. And, you know, I was invited sometimes to birthday parties and weddings and and things like that. And, you know, there was really kind of a close you know bonded team. And then as it got bigger and bigger and bigger, it got harder to keep up with. And then the pandemic really slowed that down of just being able to go to offices, meet people in person. We hired so many people during the pandemic you know, that we had never met before and they'd never really been to an offices. So I, I do miss the the smaller closeness, you know, of the teams. I remember in the early days traveling to New York and the team was like nine people and they all got along so well. You'd find out that they had spent the whole weekend hanging out together and and there was just kind of a closeness, you know, as we as we built the company that I think it was it's harder to replicate now.
1: But I mean, I think to your credit, it it does sort of permeate. I, I met two uh, spouses of colleagues this last week, you know, and it was something that I think you establish as sort of part of the process of working here is that it becomes more than just kind of one-on-one relationships but that can be sort of a family environment in how you treat each other, but then you bring in the outside world. So I, I think it's still, still part of it. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the other hat you wear that we wear together, the three of us, which is sort of the media training world and working with spokespeople. And we get to hear this a lot, but... For the outside audience, I guess, what's some of the big takeaways you've seen in how people present or give interviews over the last 15, 20 years? Because it feels like it's changed a lot and we talk about that, but I wanted to get your take no, on No, and that. I, I
2: love the media training that we're all involved in. And it's it's one of the most important things I do. You know, a lot of agencies outsource that. And I've always, for 22 years, said it's just too important to outsource and like to do as much as I can myself. And fortunately, we've got great folks like... Both of you and others that have also been on the media training, I think that presenting, you know, presentations, media interviews, definitely taking a step step backwards. You know, I think it's you. It's almost rare to find someone who's really good at this, and people really do need a lot of work. And I think even within the school system, they don't push presentation skills, speech and how important it is. I think if you are building your career, you better be a good presenter. And if you really aspire to be at a level of a C-suite or, or leading a big division or company, presentation skills are one of the most important things. And I think when we talk about media, and both of you are, are, are former, kind of still current journalists, um, the story has to be so good these days. I mean, there's so much fewer media outlets and to cut through the clutter and to get your story on air or in print or on broadcast, it's got to be really good. And I think that is the challenge at times we see where you see the agency does a great job or working with the internal comms team and we get this incredible opportunity, not easy to get with a a well-known journalist at, at some level. And the interview is awful and the whole opportunity is lost. And I don't think spokespeople and folks on the client side have fully grasped how hard it is to break through. And that's why I think even our work in, in media training is more critical than it's ever been before. And I love the adjunct of presentation training where that's which I'm actually even more passionate about myself is I believe Presentation skills and, and, and what I've built, and spent a lot of time to Toastmasters and trying to perfect that myself, and how we can bring that to others is equally as important.
1: Yeah, I just want—I actually want to hit on that. Like some people, like Ali, were just born ready to perform, but a lot of other people have <laughs> to work on it. And people think that you were just a born presenter, but you had to work at it really hard, right? Was something you did not like. Oh, doing I had it to
2: work at it. at it really hard. It did not come naturally. I'm a bit of an introvert, honestly, and I remember when my girlfriend at the time who is now my wife was like, yeah, I think it's kind of weird that you're in PR and you're not really comfortable <laughs> in public speaking. I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure anybody asked you, but thanks. Uh, so I knew that I had to get better at it. And so I joined my local Toastmasters, San Diego, seven fifteen on a Tuesday morning with this great group of people that was trying to improve their, their speaking skills. And You know i overcame the fear i got better at it and then i got prodded by this group to start speaking competitively and going into some of the competitions and from there i was like i can teach this i can help people because i can look at someone say you're terrified of public speaking i was right there with you and we can fix this and i can help you
0: well we have one last question for you and i think it's something that hopefully everyone would want to know. I feel like it's the secret, right? If someone listening to this, maybe an account coordinator has dream of having their own global agency one day, what's that key advice you would give them? The key thing they should take away?
2: I think everybody, well, it's, it's rare. I think a lot of people will say, I want to be an entrepreneur, but the reality is it can be really hard. And the risk can be massive. And I always say, are you the person, the poker analogy can go all in. And I mean all in. Are you willing to put every nickel to your name into that entity? Are you willing to ask friends and family to invest? Are you willing to maybe not take a paycheck for a year? Are you truly willing to go all in? And I think the rewards can be amazing for the person that really does want to do that. And I would encourage people, look, take a chance and build your own entity. I think it would be thrilling to see an Allison alumni then up to go and, and, and start their own company it would be would be fantastic. And I would fully support that. But understand it is it's not a nine to five gig. I think my family would tell you after twenty-two years, you know first hand what a drain they could see on it and particularly during the pandemic and the late nights the early mornings the weekends um that you're you're on call all the time but obviously it's it's been a really rewarding experience and I, I wouldn't have changed anything but I would encourage people to be inquisitive think about starting your own entity uh, but going with your eyes open too it's a lot of work
1: Excellent. Well, good, good advice. Um, we want to wrap it up, set you free. I actually have to go talk to the aforementioned Andy Hardy Brown here in a few minutes. So I don't want to leave him waiting, but Scott, we appreciate it. It's great to, uh, great right. to see yeah, you. Well,
2: all Alley. It's great to finally score an invite to the show. I was beginning to feel left out, but after a few years, I'm glad, glad to be a part of this.
1: We, we
0: felt like you finally it. earned it. Yes. I'm glad I'm we can me. make it happen. And thank you for listening to the stream. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcast.